Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the things that matter to them. Today, we have with us, I'm real excited about this guy. I've kind of like internet known him for a long time. It's our first time hanging out. I want you all to say hello to someone you know as Spoofy Chop, but whose actual name is Keith. Hello, Keith. Hey, you did not mess up your intro. You came in at exactly the right time. Well played. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> now, Keith, I'm sure that I speak for almost everyone listening when I want when I ask you and I want to ask you now, and that is, what on earth is a spoofy chop? <laughs> oh, it's kind of embarrassing, but uh, somehow. Maybe back in the 90s, uh, my wife and I started calling each other Spoofy Chop as a pet name. Oh, God. This is is actually what I call my wife, and she calls me. (laughs) Oh, that's hard. That's the worst possible answer. I mean, like if it was like your D&D character's name or if it was something that your frat brothers called you. But it's the pet name you share with your wife and you're splashing around on the Internet. That's kind of what – does your wife know that you're doing this, Keith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really bad. I mean, and it's so similar to the – to the annoying pet name from the Seinfeld uh, Seinfeld episode where they call each other Schmoopy, and everybody is disgusted. Wow! I yeah. Wow. I, I'm so unenthusiastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm, now, I'm sorry. Does anyone in real life call you like people who internet know you? Do they call you Spoofy? Uh not really. Not not that I can think of. Uh, it's it's really just been my my quarter to three handle, except for the the year or two where I sort of switched to Mike Twain. Okay, well, I'm sure as heck not going to be calling you Spoofy. So yeah. you're, you're Keith to us today on the podcast. You can go back to Spoofy Chop on the, on the forum if you want. But uh, okay. so that's what a Spoofy Chop is. I'm kind of for the first time. I think I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> uh, what is your wife's first name? Oh, she's Jess. And how long have you been married to Jess? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Ninety-eight. So I guess we had our 13-year anniversary this year. So. And what do you get? Is it 13 paper? What is that? Uh, What do you you bring into your 13th anniversary? Actually, that's like your unlucky anniversary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, so far it's been fine, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, we gotta, we gotta get through this. We gotta get to next year so we can, can be on 14. Yeah, congratulations. Good luck on that. Uh, Congratulations (laughs) on making 13, but yeah, we really want to see that 14. Uh, what, What does Jess do, if I may ask? Um, she's she's been staying uh, home with our two girls for for basically the last nine years. Uh, pr- prior to that, she was she was a school teacher. She taught life science and biology, uh, and uh, you know, decided to to stay home with our girls. And so far, still basically staying home. Uh, uh, they're they're nine and seven, so they're they're basically in school all day. But uh, you know, she hasn't really decided what to do yet. Mm-hmm. Looking, looking to go back to work, but not quite sure she wants to go back to teaching, etc. So it uh, sounds to me like your wife does the hard work in the family, whereas you, on the other hand, <laughs> just just hang out with Mike Cathcart all day. That's pretty much correct. Yeah, it's yeah. She really got the the short end of that stick. 
Now, uh, you do, as your job, you work, it's like some kind of computery stuff, but you work with another fellow from the forum named Mike Cathcart. Uh, is Mike Cathcart as amusing in person as he is on the forum? He's, he's pretty much the funniest person I know. He's, he's just hysterical pretty much all the time. So, yeah, he's, he's a riot. Uh, and I would say of Mike Cathcart, as people might say of, say, the heat in Arizona, it's a dry humor. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cathcart is very droll, uh, I would say. Yeah, he's, 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 a, he's a character. He's... Now, I want you to tell us right now on this podcast, what is the worst trouble that Mike Cathcart has ever gotten in at work? Tell us about Mike Cathcart screwing something <laughs> at work. Oh, man, that, that's a tough one. Uh, he... Uh... He's very, very well regarded at work, uh, and, and so I can't. I'm, I'm really having a hard time remembering that he ever got in trouble per se. Uh, and and, and the, the interesting thing is that he really has very little uh, tolerance for sort of the corporate shenanigans that go on and and uh, different things. I mean, you know, and, and he'll he's pretty vocal about that stuff too. But he's just so good at what he does that. You know, nobody really calls him on it. Uh, nobody gets mad at him. I, I think the thing I seem to remember that uh, he he once made a joke about cancer about three days after my grandfather had passed away from cancer, and I got really mad at him. <laughs> uh, but I, I was kind of overreacting. At, I think at the time, I think I think he was saying something about a game or a movie being worse than cancer, and I just was feeling a little bit sad and sort of overreacted. But now he's 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 the bomb. That guy. I was looking. I was hoping to get some dirt, and you're not really helping. <laughs> so, so far, this is the worst podcast ever. I just, <laughs> I'm disappointing all of your expectations. Well, as far as like digging up dirt on Cathcart, yeah, I was hoping to uh, get some ammo. But fine, if you can't provide me with that, and I, you know what, that's a good one though. So here we go. This is uh, an exclusive for this podcast. Mike Cathcart is an insensitive oaf. <laughs> right. There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out there. Uh, so let's see. So you and Jesse have you mentioned? Did you say two daughters, seven and two nine? Daughters. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that is awesome. Okay, what names did you give them? I always love hearing this. What, what <laughs> names did you and your wife come up with for the, the younglings? The, the, the older girl is Abby, and the younger girl is Lara, like Lara Croft, but not exactly. Mm, I kind of think Abby got the better deal. I mean, I don't want to trash one of your daughter's names. Lara's a fine name, but Abby's a pretty awesome name. I think you guys did well with that one. I like that one in particular. Yeah, it's, it's a good name. Uh, now, do your girls actually? What do Abby? Lara, so it's pronounced Laura. You don't say Lara, is that right? No, it's definitely okay. not Lara, and it's it's not even Laura. It's really Lara. This is a sort of the ah Lara sound. It's <laughs> a terrible thing to make. Lara. <laughs> okay. So, what do Abby, Lara, and Jess think of the fact that you are a giant nerd? I think they're fine with it. Uh, I, I think uh, I think Jess was. It took her a while to get used to some of the things that I do. Uh, I think she's gotten used to them. Uh, Abby is is absolutely following in my footsteps. She's a total nerd. Uh, she plays her DS and the Wii and Minecraft constantly. Uh, she's she's inconsolable if if she can't play electronics in any given day for some some reason. <laughs> Lara uh, also likes electronics. She's nerdy. Uh, they're they're not. She's not as nerdy as as Abby. Uh, Jess does not like computer games. The, the last computer game that she played successfully was King's Quest IV, and and wow, she, she just does not 
she I think she can't she just can't imagine herself sitting still for them, even though she'll happily play Arkham Horror for three hours straight, you know, without a break. Now, but, tell me about that, Keith, because I'm curious, why then is it sort of the solitary nature of a computer game? Is it that she's more engaged by the fact that she's sitting at a table with other people? Why can she sit still for a board game and not a computer game, do you think? It, it, it definitely has something to do with, with the fact that she perceives – board games as being social time spent with other people, and she perceives computer games as sitting in front of a computer by herself. Even though I've attempted to get her to play World of Warcraft, where we would literally be sitting in the same room and she would be interacting with other people, and she can she can stand that for about 15 minutes. I have tried that four different times, and it just the result is always the same, which is that she's frustrated with it, and it, she, she, she just really sees computer games as being kind of a waste of time, even though she, she really doesn't give me or the girls a hard time about it per se but she just can't see herself doing it and so she just doesn't now you guys recently i presume went off the grid as it were uh (laughs) in in bermuda is that correct yeah yeah. when you're on this bermuda cruise which i want to hear about can you play can you check the auction house <laughs> the, the World of Warcraft auction house. I, that's I don't know of any other auction house. <laughs> I, I, I you know you you can uh, they have they have Wi-Fi uh, plans on cruises and and I think they only charge you about fifty cents a minute. So I guess if you were <laughs> <laughs> if you were desperate you could do it. Uh, but you know I, I wasn't willing to pay that and I I turned my iPhone off and uh, you know by and large we didn't use we didn't use any of the communication systems they had on the ship so yeah we, we were pretty much off the grid we we used a calling card at a phone booth in Bermuda to call home two or three times and that that so that was you know 1985 technology that we employed now holding that thought I'm just curious have I outed you as still playing World of Warcraft? I noticed you didn't immediately say, oh, I don't play World of Warcraft. <laughs> I, 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 I was playing, I played for about eight months uh, this year, and I quit again about a month ago. All right. Uh, How's that so, taking? Do you find yourself jonesing for checking the auction house or whatever? Are you okay nah, with that? I, usually right. when I quit, I'm, I'm done for a while. I'm, I'll go back to it again, I'm sure. I've, I've played four or five different times. and don't, You know what, Keith? Don't go back to it. Just, yeah, right. just, just walk away, Keith. Walk away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so you guys, I want to hear about this Bermuda cruise because I have a friend who just went, my friend Christian Mirowski, who I do a movie podcast with. He's also on the forum. He just took his family on a Disney cruise. Okay. Uh, I think they were also in, in Bermuda. Uh, and, you know, he took his, his six-year-old son with him. Uh, right. Tell me about, so did uh, Abby and Lara, Lara, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to, see, now I'm just tripping myself up. I'm psyching myself out with saying your daughter's name. Did Abby and Lara go on the cruise with you guys? Uh, we, we left them at home this time. Um, you know, we, we, we set out a bunch of food for them in the house. Uh, we, you know, we, 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 we armed the alarm, uh, and they were fine. Uh, it was no, no, we, uh. Uh, Jess's parents watched them, and, and we, we left. We, we usually try to take one vacation, just the two of us, every year, uh, you know, for four or five days if we can swing it. And, and so far, the, the various grandparents have obliged with with uh, sitting services. So, uh, yeah, so no, it was, it was just the two of us, and it was, it, was a, it was a nice break. 
Now, uh, so is this cruise, the thing that surprised me when my friend Christian told me about the cruise is that you're not necessarily at sea a lot. Is that the cruise is basically hopping around to different ports and you wake up one morning, you're in the island, you're, you're at a port near one city for one day and then you go to sleep and then the next morning you're at another port. Uh, it's not just you're, you're floating around at sea. Was so, that the case with your cruise? No, you got it exactly wrong. Um, we, we actually left from Baltimore and so we were at sea for a day and a half before we got to Baltimore. Baltimore, and then we were we were parked in Baltimore for a day and a half, and then we sailed back to Bal- uh, back to or parked in Bermuda for a day and a half, and then sailed back. To- <laughs> a cruise to Baltimore sounds like a terrible package. Round trip to Baltimore from Baltimore. Uh, no, so so actually there was quite a bit of of sailing involved, and and believe it or not, we actually played Arkham Horror on the cruise three times. To, That's to fill, cool. <laughs> to fill some of that uh, the downtime. Just uh, the two of you, so do they do the whole thing where you're because uh, I've been to like club meds where they make you sit with strangers at dinner to encourage mixing. Do they do that with you on your cruise? And if so, did you persuade any of your dinner compatriots <laughs> just met to play Arkham Horror? We, we played it. We played it by ourselves. We actually we tried playing in a lounge, and it, it, there just wasn't enough room to play Arkham Horror, which which takes up you know several large size dining room tables i think and and so no we we really didn't make friends on the cruise although admittedly the our dinner uh, table we did sit with a, an older couple uh mm-hmm. but yeah no we we it's it's interesting i i don't really i'm really not sure we have quite the right uh personalities for cruising we we don't make friends uh you know we don't we don't like going to the shows but it's just pure relaxation is kind of what I like about it. I, I, I get nervous with a lot of travel transitions. I hate flying. This was sort of a way to, um, to, to take a cruise and just to have to drive to Baltimore, which is only an hour and a half away for us, and, and not, have to, not to have to fly, not to have to worry about a lot of things. Um, so that, that's the part that I like about it. But It kind of sounds like just chilling in a cool floating hotel for a few pretty days. Much, that's exactly right, yeah. So yeah. out in, in Bermuda, uh, and I just realized, actually, I'm conflating Bermuda and the Bahamas. Okay, uh, right. So out in Bermuda, uh, what did you do? Did you get in the water at all? Uh, we, we did. It was it was extremely windy. We, we sort of went right in the middle of two tropical storms, and the, the weather wasn't great. The crossing was fine, but it was very windy when we got there, and they they sort of canceled some of our excursions. We were going to go snorkeling off a glass bottom boat, and they canceled that. And we sort of we were sort of left a little flat footed. Our planning wasn't so great, and so mostly what we did was we we sort of took a ferry boat to the main city of Hamilton and kind of walked around and did some shopping and didn't didn't really end up doing the things that we were expecting to do. But but it was fun. I had the best fish and chips of my entire life at a restaurant in, in Hamilton, Bermuda. So that was that was good. Mm-hmm. What makes for good fish and chips? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's just it's deep fried fish and French yeah, fries. Yeah, I mean, I, fried food is really the best thing in, in the world, as far as I'm concerned. I just love fried food. Well, let me ask you, Keith. Here's what I think is important for good fish and chips, but some people can't can't brook this. Did you go with the malted vinegar? I, I do not do the vinegar thing, no. Oh, so Keith, was... you can't have possibly claimed to have had the best fish and chips until you suck it up and, and deal with some malted vinegar. What's the well, matter with you? In, in your honor, I will try that sometime, but I, yeah, I've, I've never tried that before. 
That right there is one of Britain's greatest contributions to civilization next to something else I'm going to tell you about. And you're probably going to go, ew, but you're going to have to trust me on this. And I think malted vinegar might also be a component in this. There's something from uh, the U.K. Uh, called brown sauce. Have you ever had it? No. All right. Uh, brown sauce and brown. malted vinegar. I <laughs> recommend both of them. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So you've come back from Bermuda. Uh, how did the girls feel about being dropped off at the grandparents while you guys got to hang out in Bermuda? Uh, I think they were fine. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't think Abby really missed us at all. I mean, she had her <laughs> DS with her the whole time, so she was fine. Uh, you know, I mean, th- their grandparents are really great, so I-, I think they had a fantastic time getting a vacation from us as well. And every day that they were good, uh, the grandparents gave them each a $2 bill. So they, ah. they came home with, uh, with, with, you know, fourteen two dollar bills between the two of them. So neither of them missed out on a day. They 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 made bank every day. They yeah yeah they they were good every day. <laughs> what do a seven and a nine year old do with that money? Out of curiosity, uh, they bought. They actually have spent it already. They bought a calico critters luxury townhome, which uh, I, I believe is a, a a sort of a plastic dollhouse. That probably cost somebody four dollars to make in China, and uh, thirty-seven dollars to market, and then they price it at eighty-three dollars. So they pooled all their money and 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 bought that. I, I think that's a, a minor form of economic stimulus. I applaud. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, we're we're helping we're helping President Obama. <laughs> Now, okay, you have now officially breached the topic of PNR. <laughs> oh, no. Therefore, I want to ask you, uh, I don't duck into PNR a lot, but I believe yeah, right. you, I believe I see your name in there a fair bit. Right. Uh, are you, how would you character, characterize yourself? Are you conservative? Are you, are you a Republican? I, I'm not. I'm no longer a Republican. Uh, oh, I, you were. I, I was, yes. I was a Republican for probably my whole life. Uh uh, I, I was I was quite conservative growing up. Uh, went to college, became a little bit more liberal. Uh, sort of went back to small town suburban life or whatever. Became more conservative again. I was a staunch Bush supporter uh, for many years, and I finally realized that just in general that politicians are just absolutely manipulating everybody for their own ends, and I just became absolutely disgusted with the political system, became absolutely disgusted with Bush. Um, I, 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 I really don't consider myself a conservative anymore, per se. Uh, when did, I, this, did this happen after Bush was out of office? Is this a, an, uh, since an Obama has been in office thing, or was this an, when, I, I, when was this? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I probably would struggle to remember the exact timeline. It was, it was definitely before Bush left office. I, okay. I think if, if somebody was, was willing to go back and comb through my posts, uh, I, I started becoming skeptical of certain things. I was, you know, started becoming skeptical of the Patriot Act, started becoming upset at sort of abuses of power in different areas, uh, dabbled briefly with, with uh, thinking that Ron Paul uh, knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Uh, that, that's almost like experimenting with marijuana in college. It, re- it really is. It's yes. It was. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it it didn't it didn't last long. But I, you know, it, eventually, what I realized was just that that Bush was basically just as horrible as everybody had been telling me he was uh, for a long time, and and it was it was it was sort of a it was a rough thing. I mean, I. I, I still I still get kind of prickly about it. I, I think there's probably a lot of people on the the forum that that probably 
are never going to be able to like me because I was such a jackass for many years about the politics stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really blame them. Um, you know, the, there's one person in particular I won't name names who who really just gives me a hard time kind of anywhere that I pop up and I, I don't blame him I mean it's you know I, I I don't really consider myself a liberal per se I, I'm I'm not I'm not a registered Democrat um, I, I consider myself an Obama supporter I, I don't think he's doing a particularly good job uh, the Republicans and the, the Tea Party morons are are certainly making it as hard as they possibly can on him and. Etc. But but like for instance, I've I've really taken to reading extreme left uh, economics blogs. Uh, there's a, a site called uh, CEPR.net, I think it is, Center for Economic Policy Research, and an economist named Dean Baker, who's very very far left and and you know really um, you know you know really is sort of pretty far out there and you know not even really in the mainstream i mean the mainstream seems to think that we should we should you know the stimulus didn't work and this and that and he's calling for more stimulus etc so in in a lot of ways i've really totally you know gone in the opposite direction um you know i'm I'm very religious though so socially i am still pretty conservative though so Mm -hmm. but but at the same time uh i'm I, I don't consider myself a moral voter. I would not vote for a Republican just because of abortion or some moral issue. I'm I'm much more interested at this point in just preserving people's freedoms and liberties, although not to the extent that a libertarian would. So I don't know. I don't know what the heck I think. But I <laughs> do you uh, do you talk politics much? Like okay, you mentioned you're religious. Is in the in the context of a do you have a regular church group? Uh, like are, are you a denominational? Are you are you a member of a particular de- denomination? Yeah, yeah, I'm actually a member of uh, the the most conservative Lutheran church body uh, okay. in, in the U.S. Um, so what that makes me wonder, though, is if, so for instance, you're you're a Lutheran and you, uh, you 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 go to a Lutheran church. You say they're very conservative. Do you have political conversations with them? Like, do you have people with whom you used to be conservative? who see you losing some of that conservatism, sort of abandoning the Republican Party, that you still talk politics with? I, you know, I actually, I really have never talked politics with people at church. Um, you know, I think we, we mostly just talk about Jesus all the time. Okay. <laughs> and, so, and, and so, yeah, you know, I, although I, once or twice I've talked politics with people, and there were some people at, at church that, seemed essentially just as disgusted with the political system um, as I am. I mean, one thing that's kind of interesting about uh, about this church is that I really am not under the impression that it's a standard sort of American evangelical kind of situation where everybody is just, you know, that, that because everybody's, you know, staunch Christian, that they're just automatically a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's not really that kind of church. And so people don't tend to talk politics and you know, I, I guess what I'm curious about is if you have, since you've gone through this sort of political conversion over the last few years, do you still have connections and conversations with people with whom you used to agree that you no longer agree with? I mean, aside from PNR, which is this weird internet yeah. conversation, right. do, do you have these conversations in, in real life still with people? I, I, Church, you know, work, friends, whatever? Not really. I mean, I, okay. I, I don't know. I just I never really talked too much politics. The, the only people that I really talked any politics with were people at work. And I mean, Cathcart used to give me a hard time about some of this stuff. I mean, I don't, he's he's not particularly political. Um, uh, but 
no, nobody has become disappointed. My parents, uh, my mom was always pretty liberal, and and my dad has actually moderated his sort of Republican views over the years. So, I, I actually have managed to, just coincidentally, I guess, the people around me have sort of become disillusioned with politics, sort of at the same time that I have. So, right. I, I really, at this point, I really don't spend all that much time thinking or talking about politics. I've, I've kind of given up on it to a large degree. Now, are you as fascinated as I am with whatever the heck is going on with the Republican Party at this point? I, I mean, I, I find it – yeah, it's, it is fascinating. I, I don't – and I admit that I still tend to read the news uh, you know, a lot. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I'm, I'm really I'm, – I'm frustrated with it. I'm upset by it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the – I really see the Tea Party as being a very negative influence on the country. I think it's, you know, I'm I'm real convinced by these 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 crazy leftist economists that we're absolutely doing the wrong thing with the economy, uh, you know. I, so yeah, it, it, it's it, it is fascinating, but I think in this case, fascinating means we're all screwed. So <laughs> I, I think I, maybe I'm being naive, but I tend to watch it and. I think that the Republicans are just on the road to marginalizing themselves. I mean, the, the Tea Party is a huge groundswell, but I don't think it can sustain itself. I, I think this is just an extended implosion, and I, I you know, I do find it fascinating, like a, a train wreck. And even though I do, I agree with you, the Tea Party is, is harmful. I just don't see this sort of inchoate, unfocused populist movement as really resulting in anything. I don't think they're going to be able to elect a president. Uh, I, I think they're just going to increasingly marginalize themselves, and the Republican Party is just sort of groping for its new identity and where it's going to go from here, and I feel it's, it needs to do that. So I'm not – I don't know. Maybe that is naive of, of me, but it doesn't scare me or discourage me so much as I'm like, well, you guys made that bed. Have fun, <laughs> have fun trying to get comfortable right. with it. It's it's funny, but uh, Michelle Bachman actually used to belong to the church, the national church group that I belong to. Which you know, if you Google it, it's the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. She she just quit. Uh, apparently, she hadn't attended her her original church in two years and had switched to to some other church. But uh, yeah, I I hope you're right. I mean, I don't think there's any way that they that Bachman could win. I don't think there's any way that Ron Paul could win. I, I don't think there's any way Sarah Palin can win. Uh, you know, Rick Perry, I guess, has some chance of winning the nomination. My money would probably be on Romney. Right. But right. It, I, I really hope you're right. I really hope that I really hope that they don't. You know, I mean, this whole thing with the debt, the debt ceiling was was just so destructive of yeah. of, of of lots of things, and I it's just really frustrating to see that. I, I really hope that they lose the ability to to pull that kind of crap sometime soon. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, so what uh, – this, this Lutheran church, are you a regular – if I may ask, are you a regular – like do you go to services on Sundays? What, to what level do you participate with this church, if I may ask? Yeah, I mean we, we, go, we go every Sunday that we can, that we can make it. Uh, uh, we, we, tend to, we tend to do a fair amount of weekend getaways and visiting relatives. So you know, sometimes we, we, we won't go to sort of a random church if we're not, if we're not near uh, our church uh, – uh, you know, so I, I don't, I, I couldn't say I go exactly 52 times a year, uh, but uh, yeah, no, we, we're, I mean, we're in church every week that we, that we're in town. So now were you, uh, you, you self-identify pretty frequently as a Christian. And I want to say, I really respect that. I, 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 
I'm fair for somebody who's not religious. I am oddly conservative about religion, and I feel that if you are a Christian, if you if you get a strong, powerful message from 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 Christ, from the Bible, uh, that you should sort of wear that proudly. And I respect people who do that. I think there's a way to do that without hitting people over the head, which is something that. I think is a common misconception. Uh, I see it a lot on quarter to three, and I get very frustrated at it. Uh, so I respect people who self-identify as Christians without being overbearing about it. And one of the things that, so out of curiosity, how did you come to this? Were you born into this church? Is it something that happened to you as you got older? Uh, how did this, well, what's, well, your, what's your background there? Yeah, well, so I'll try to keep this short. Um, I, I, uh, my all growing up, I was I was a Lutheran. Uh, my, you know, my parents were Lutherans. I was born into a Lutheran church. I was actually uh, growing up. I we were members of the most liberal Lutheran church organization, um, which today is the the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which has you know several million members and a big mainstream uh, sort of denomination. Um, but uh, back in about 2000, uh, my wife and I were in Costa Rica. And we almost drowned in a riptide, um, and it, it was really only through the the help of some of the some people that were kind of on the same eco tour with us in Costa Rica, sort of dragging us to the shore, uh, that that we kind of made it in. I, you know, I'll, I'll never know whether we would have drowned or we wouldn't have drowned, but uh, that just absolutely threw me for a loop, uh, and and really came back sort of. You know, I, I was I was sort of questioning. I, I was trying to swim. You know, you're supposed to swim sideways out of a riptide, and my wife and I were swimming sideways for all we were worth. But uh, you know, we just weren't making any headway, and it wasn't looking good. And as I'm sitting there swimming, I'm saying to myself, "What's going to happen to me if I die?" I had been religious all my life, but I really did not have a strong sense that I knew what was going to happen to me. And it, I, it just was really devastating. It was it was a terrible experience. Uh, you know, these 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 two guys dragged us to shore, and uh, you know, we're, we're sitting on a, a, a log uh, on the beach in Costa Rica, you know, and it just really made me reconsider some things, and you know, decide I had been, you know, putting off wanting to have kids, and I told my wife, we're going to have kids now. We'll have kids, and uh, you know, I said we're gonna we got to figure out. We we, we got to read the Bible more. We got to figure out what's what's going on here, and and so we you know we started going through a process of trying to figure out what we believed and and you know what the Bible said about things, and we really ended up sort of going on this journey from the most liberal Lutheran church to the most conservative Lutheran <laughs> church. Uh, so that that's that's basically the background in in you know one minute. I love how. This horrible thing, this this riptide, and that must have sucked. Yeah. Uh, I love how it's ultimately a, a positive presence yeah. in your life. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, really, wow. it really was. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about this Lutheran church. What what is your congregation like? Do you have a favorite pastor? Actually, do do Lutherans <laughs> have pastors? What do you call them? Yeah, yeah, we call him pastor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, our, our pastor's fantastic. I mean, he's he's a, a very gentle man. Uh, you know, um, gives. Terrific sermons. I mean, they're very different than, than probably what a lot of people are used to. Very focused on, on scripture, not a lot of anecdotes and, and sort of, uh, you know, modern day life applications per se. It's, it's, it's really very sort of pure, um, Bible based stuff. Um, 
the, the, the congregation is quite small. We actually live kind of far away. Uh, I, I think ideally you live about five or ten minutes away from a church, and, and our congregation is about 30 minutes away. Um, that means we probably don't participate as much as we really ought to. Um, I, I'm kind of lazy. I don't like to drive. I at, at one point was on committees and things and uh, you know, used to drive a half an hour after work to go down to some ridiculous committee meeting and then be frustrated at you know, that the way committees and churches tend to work where nothing really gets decided very quickly. And I, I kind of had to give that up out of just a sense of overwhelming stress. But um, it's my, my take on the church is basically that I, I really strongly believe that believe that Lutheran theology is really sort of the primo theology out there. And, <laughs> and, and that, and that this particular church body is, is you know has really kept uh, you know that Lutheran theology uh, you know sort of uh, going through through the last couple hundred years as this the sort of the it's it's basically the modern day successor of Luther uh, in in my opinion and so um, it, it's a, it's a fantastic church it's great great uh, you know great teaching our pastor is fa- fantastic it's it's not it's not something where we're real great friends with a lot of the people from church we tend to live between thirty minutes and an hour away from most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not as much of a social thing as I think some people get with church, which maybe makes me a little bit sad, although I, I'm not a social person in general, so it's not that big of a deal, I, I guess. What uh, I can imagine uh, one of the most exciting things about being a parent is being able to watch your daughters learn about the kind of worldview that you as a Christian hold, sharing that with them, watching right. them sort of uh, grow into it, uh, answering the questions that they have. Uh, that must be one of the really precious parts of being a parent to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we it, it's it's interesting. My parents were, were great. My wife's parents were great. Um but they, they weren't particularly intentional about their parenting. I, I think they just kind of played it by ear a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've taken a bit of a different approach. I mean, we're, we're very kind of intentional about our parenting. I'm sure that, you know, in, in about five to six years from now, we'll, we'll learn from our daughters that, that, that this is absolutely the wrong thing to do and that we're the worst <laughs> people uh, on the planet. But uh, until then, um, you know, we, we – we we read the Bible uh, every night at dinner. Um, we you know we we talk about our faith a lot. We talk about different things a lot. I I, I I absolutely drill into the kids the idea that advertising is ridiculous and that they shouldn't be swayed by advertising. Um, you know we we've we've already told them the truth about Santa Claus out of a sense of of you know. Not wanting them to feel like you know you, you're telling this story for year after year after year about this this magical guy in a sleigh, and then suddenly it turns out that he's not real. I mean, we really wanted to get to them early with the message that, look, sorry, but Santa's just make believe. Man, I really hope there's no kids listening to this, uh, <laughs> and you know b- because you know. I, so, so I guess long story short, we're, we we really we really do put a lot of effort into our parenting. We have token economies that we use for rewards and different things. So, I, I love it. I love being a dad. I love my girls. They're absolutely fantastic. We play lots of board games with them. We do all kinds of fun stuff. So, you know, the Santa thing reminds me, Keith. Though, I mean, that seems like that makes like if you were to t- raise your daughters, teaching them about Santa Claus, and then at one point they find out there's no Santa Claus. 
that would then call into question, well, what about this Jesus fellow? What about exactly. God, the Holy Spirit? You know, you were tricking me about Santa Claus all these years. Why should I then believe you about the, these other these other things you're telling me about that I can't touch, yes. that I can't feel, that I have to accept on faith? Uh, right. So that makes perfect sense to me. Um, what uh, do you still, out of curiosity, do they do you still do like the presents like uh, that oh, yeah. night of Christmas? Like there's the secret presents that come out that aren't under the tree. Yeah, no, we 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 we'll still do the secret presents. I mean, you know that because that's just fun, you know. Right, it's like the tradition, <laughs> right? Uh, now I want to ask you then: Is it difficult being a Christian in a, a modern sort of secular world? And here's one of the examples I want to bring out to you. Uh, someone on the forum posted uh, a question: Do you believe in God or heaven? Whatever. It's like one of these conversations. I immediately knew where the conversation was going right. to go. <laughs> yeah. I could tell how that. Now, and you went in there and you posted this great little bit from Job, uh, and Ben Soans immediately comes back, and we all know Ben. Ben's a, he's a great guy, but yeah. he's like, hey, is that from Hellraiser? I, I, uh, I really wanted to come up with something funny to say to that. That was such a great post. I loved it. I, well, you know what? That, that's what I'm curious about. Does that bother you? I mean, does that dismi immediately dismissive attitude, is that discouraging? Does that bother you? Do you take that in stride? How, as somebody who feels strongly about this, how, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? I, no, it, it really doesn't bother me at all, and, I, you know, I really think there's a difference between that kind of post that's – I really took it as lighthearted, as funny, and and something that would maybe be more of an attack. I mean if somebody would, would immediately kind of go on an attack, which I don't, people don't generally do, I don't think, um, you know, then that, that might be, you know, a little bit – uncomfortable or something but no i, I really don't I, I really don't have trouble at, at this point and i think maybe i used to but i really don't have trouble anymore on the board uh, about you know i know that because because when you i think when you look at the results of that poll it, I, I haven't looked at it recently but i mean it was just overwhelmingly you know in favor of not believing in god so i mean clearly clearly the board is not a hotbed of, of religious sentiment <laughs> uh, you know but yeah it's my my feeling is basically I'm going to I'll answer that honestly. I'm going to I'm going to Job 19:25 is absolutely my favorite Bible verse. Ah. And you know that so that's 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 my basis for you know that that's the hope that I have. There's a Bible verse that says, you know, always be always be ready to tell people about the hope that you have and that's that really sums up for me uh you know my my faith uh and You know so, what? Keith, when you, having heard that story about the riptide and now knowing about that Job 19.25 passage, that's, uh, that makes perfect sense to me. I really like how you put that. Uh, yeah. That, why is that your favorite? I mean, I, I actually kind of feel like I know the answer to this now that you've told me about the riptide <laughs> passage. Uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. I want to explain to you why I like that passage, one of okay, the reasons I like that passage. Uh, you, you mentioned reading the Bible, and I would love to hear about some of this because, for me, I think the Bible can be a really tough challenging I mean I don't want to call it a document that just sounds so impersonal just body of work it can be a very yeah. challenging body of work uh, and I, I went to school and I studied it for a while from a more secular perspective but I, I adore this body of work and I respect how difficult it can be and one of the things that I love about it is how it means different things to different people and that passage in Job for instance is a classic example the book of Job when it, I, I think a Many people's favorite bits out of what we call the Old Testament is this this strange, 
almost existential work. It's like an existential courtroom drama. Right. Uh, and you can it, you can see how, given the history of the Jews and of Judaism and the kingdoms and their place in history and how they were constantly dogpiled on by more powerful neighbors, uh, you can see how this culture would come up with this existential courtroom drama. It's a beautiful piece of work. It has a lot of fantastic poetry about the majesty of the, nat- of the natural order, the incomprehensibility of it. Uh, and so they've got they've handed down this great story. Now we fast forward to Christianity, which is this beautiful outgrowth of of Judaism, you know, based on on Christ's teachings. Right. And in that passage, that one little uh, line about a, re- a redeemer that, right. that that word is sometimes translated as, as vindicator, but it, it's a key to the to this idea that here's a courtroom drama. For Christians, there's this great hook there. Here's this fantastic story from from ancient Hebrew scriptures, and there's this hook, this idea of of Christ as a redeemer that we can plug into. It means it means it has like a double meaning. And of course, in Christian theology, that's intentional. That's part of God's plan. Uh, but I love the sort of literary device of that. I, I love how that word plugs into different traditions and mean different means different things to different people, and how it even plugs into your experience. In Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's a classic example of what makes scripture so powerful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. so that's why I like that passage. Uh, <laughs> and I really appreciate hearing that that's your, your favorite verse in the Bible. How difficult, though, is it? You talk about reading the Bible. Good Lord, the Bible can really be just open. I mean, how do you know what parts to read? What isn't it challenging? Isn't that a difficult thing to do with your family? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it's interesting because there's you know there's definitely places in the bible where you can take a 7 and a 9 year old and you can just open up a psalm and you can just start reading a psalm and generally speaking i think the psalms will be understandable to even young children uh many of them uh sometimes the words are difficult but uh then you can also open Paul's epistles, and they're just not really going to have any idea what the heck that guy's saying, because half of the people he was writing to didn't even understand what the heck he was saying. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is challenging, and, and, and certainly there, there are a lot of difficult passages in the Bible, and there are a lot of things that uh, at first glance don't really make much sense or that would seem to have been contradicted by uh, other records or contradicted by other parts of the Bible. I mean, my, my personal belief is that, that, that whenever there appears to be a contradiction, it's, it's us that's confused, not God, uh, you know, that, that, there is, that there is no confusion. But, um, you know, and so in that sense, I, I would consider myself to be a, a biblical literalist, except to say that I think some people take that too far and believe that Revelation is literal when Revelation is pretty clear to point out, you know, John, Apostle John points out it's, 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 a, it's a vision, you know, it's not supposed to be literal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it is difficult, and I, I really I don't spend as much time as I really ought to reading the Bible. Uh, you know, I, I, I when when we read the, the Bible at night with with the girls, um, you know, and have our have our little Bible study time. I mean, I don't I don't follow a plan. I probably should. I just open up something and I start reading. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's challenging. I mean, you know, the I think it's been challenging to be a, a, a religious person at any time in history, and it's. I don't think it's any harder or easier in the modern world. I mean, in some ways, uh, in some ways, the, the biggest challenge in the modern world is that everybody around me 
has already heard everything in the Bible for the most part. And so, you know, uh, Cathcart, for instance, is a, is a confirmed atheist. I, I think his actual religion is lunchitarianism, which <laughs> is the belief that lunch is the most important meal of the day, uh, and, and really everything ought to focus around it. That is uh, such heresy because everybody knows it is breakfast. Yeah, and uh. that's the received wisdom. But yeah, no, he's. When, when people at work schedule meetings over lunch, I mean, he just, this, this the scorn, he heaps scorn on their heads. And, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's, everybody has already heard about Jesus a lot. Um, you know, I, I don't think it even matters if you're, you know, if you're, if you've recently come over from India to, to work in the IT industry, you've, you've probably heard about Jesus too. So, uh, there, there's just, just, there's just general disinterest. I mean, in America, nobody's, nobody's, you know, nobody's going to generally, you know, try to try to you know kill you if you're a Christian. The way that you know will happen in some countries, but they're just bored with you. So, right. are you much of a movie or TV guy? Uh, I'm I'm really not anymore. Uh, I used to go I used to go to the movies two or three times a week uh, in college and when I was first married. And so I've seen every crappy movie from <laughs> you know 1992 to 1998 or nine and and and. You know, once we had kids, we really, really stopped going to the movies. Um, I really don't watch a lot of TV anymore, just, you know, it, it, preferring to play games or, you know, v- video games or board games or whatnot. So and the, the only show that I watch consistently right now is River Monsters Unhooked. Which what? Is, uh, <laughs> that sounds a, awesome, whatever it, it is. It's, it's fantastic. It's on uh, the Learning Channel or something, or the Animal Planet. It's about this really oh, awesome, Keith. awesome is this- British guy. Okay, is this going to be one of those cryptozoologist things? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, really? It, th- yeah, I've disappointed you again. Yeah, it's this awesome <laughs> British guy who's got bad teeth and an awesome accent, and he goes around the world, you know, f- catching cool fish from various rivers. And, you know, so it's – I mean, they, they did an episode the other night where they talked about a fish called the ball cutter that, that not chews people's balls off. <laughs> Okay, so he's not looking for the Loch Ness Monster. He's actually practicing serious, like, ichthyology. Oh, no, he is, yes. He's a serious uh, biologist, yes. So it's, it's, so it's, I, I guess it's not... be like the Bigfoot guys or no, something. No, 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 nothing like that. No, so he's, maybe he's not a cryptozoologist per se. He, okay. He's finding real fish, although they're very strange fish. Right, right. Now, so the, the reason that I asked, though, if you were a movie or... And then we'll move on because I have so many other things I want to ask you about. But the reason I ask you if you're a movie or TV guy is that as someone who has studied religion and is fascinated by it and has a lot of respect for it, I'm constantly disappointed at the way it's portrayed in, in movies and TV. Oh, sure. And I'm right. wondering if there are any specific movies or TV shows you can think of that aren't necessarily, you know, like Christian entertainment, where you really liked the portrayal of religion. Oh, wow. wow. That's and I question. ask because it's, it's kind of a loaded question because I specifically want to know if I, I can just think of a couple movies that I'm curious if you've seen. Uh, I, there's a Robert Duvall made a movie called The Apostle maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Have you seen right. it by any chance? I, I have not seen it. I heard of it and, and, and just never got a chance to see it. So the Apostle is a very rare creature in that it's a Hollywood creation <laughs> has a, 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 an enormous amount of respect for evangelical Christianity. Now, you can yeah. find movies that respect Christianity, but movies that respect evangelical Christianity <laughs> sure. are very rare. There's also a great movie called uh, 21 Grams. Have you seen that by any chance? No, no I'm sorry. So that's, that's a very like sort of more heavy, dramatic, R-rated kind of thing, but it has, I feel, a very sophisticated understanding of how religious people deal with crises. 
uh, in good and bad ways without sort of sneering or being dismissive of religion. Right. So those, those are two movies that I really, really respected how th- their perspective on religion when normally I, I it, you know, religious, religion is so facile, it's, it's treated in such a facile way. Right. Most movies and TV shows. Um. All right. So uh, let's then talk about something entirely frivolous. Excellent. I am curious. You and Jess, the two of you, played Arkham Horror? <laughs> How, yes. That's, did you each have two characters? How yeah. Can, yeah, we we do the thing where we both play two characters. I, I mean, Arkham Horror is, I think, quasi impossible if you're only playing with two investigators. Yeah. Um, and so, in order to make it even reasonably fun, you really got to play with with probably four investigators. I, I think there's an argument to be made that that's kind of the sweet spot, maybe. Um, it. it it's it got to the point where with just the base game we 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 got to the point where we would win almost every time we've we've since added the Dunwich uh, horror expansion and uh, the 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 new revised uh, Pharaoh expansion and and that's actually made it difficult enough that I don't think we've won real solidly since we added those. Have you ever killed the Dunwich horror? Um. I don't think we have uh, together. I, I think it's possible that when when Mike and I were playing once, we we managed to kill the Dunwich Horror. I don't I don't remember, but yeah, he's he's tough. Uh, now I want to throw out the name of a game that has killed Arkham Horror for me. Uh-oh. Since trying this game, I have no desire to play Arkham Horror. Now I own Arkham Horror, Dunwich. Uh, I have the Dunwich expansion, the Kingsport expansion. I have the King in Yellow. I have the Dark Young of Shubnigirat. So I've certainly invested time, money, care, attention in Arkham Horror, and I no longer want to play it since trying Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Now have I, you played I, this? I have not yet gotten a chance to play it. I, you know, Mike, Mike has a, a game night now. Um, you, you know, where he, he's, I believe he's borrowed several of your conventions, and um, I, I don't get to it as frequently as I would like. And I have not yet played Battlestar. It sounds like the best game ever, and I really got to try it. Um, you know what? Don't try it. Don't play it if you want to. If you want to continue to enjoy Arkham Horror, <laughs> don't play it. The, the thing is, Battlestar Galactica has such a cool twist. It's that same cooperative, narrative-based gameplay, but right. the twist being that one of the players, at least, is going to end up being the, the traitor. So there's this right. whole additional psychological dynamic that doesn't occur in, in Arkham Horror, and ever since I've played Battlestar Galactica, going back to Arkham Horror, I just miss that dynamic. Uh, yeah. It just feels like playing D&D against a non-existent dungeon master. Uh, have it, you ever... It, go ahead, sorry. Oh, the, the, the I guess the issue is just that... Um, you know, my wife and I really need games that we can basically play with two players. I understand that game is like you, you pretty much have to have exactly five players or it's not perfect or something. You, or? you can fudge it, but it's definitely yeah. one that if you've just got four or if you have as many as six, you might want to consider something else. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a tough thing. That is that is one of the good things about Arkham Horror, though. Uh, so besides Arkham Horror, what do you and or Jess uh, play? What, what kind of board games are you into these days? Um. I'm, we, we've been playing Arkham so monomaniacally for the last <laughs> month or two that I, I don't even remember. I mean, we we had uh, we played some Ticket to Ride, which I don't think is actually all that good of a game. We played a cute little game that's sort of like Arkham Super Light called uh, Forbidden Island. Uh, we, we can actually even play that with the girls. That one's easy enough. Uh, I, I picked up uh, Wrath of a Shardalon, which is sort of the 
the the Wizards of the Coast people attempting to do a a D and D in a box. Um, that game's okay. It's not so great. Uh, we uh, we picked up a really cute game that the girls can play called the Magic Labyrinth, which which has this ingenious use of magnets and balls sort of rolling underneath these magnetic pawns, and that that's really <laughs> cute. So. I actually I actually dropped about 150 bucks at the game store the other day. Picked up Space Alert, which is another cooperative game, and Agricola, which is a uh, not a, co- a cooperative game, but not a jerky game. I think our favorite game prior to Arkham was probably Carcassonne. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't played that real recently, just because my wife. It, it, pretty much as soon as I get home from work, she's like, "You want to play Arkham?" <laughs> <laughs> Jess is awesome. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, why do you call Agricola when you say it's not a jerky game? What do you mean by that? Well, uh, one thing that Jess is not good at is when you pull a dick move in a game. So uh, in Carcassonne, where you you line a road up into somebody's castle, or in uh, you know in in something like Ticket to Ride, where you take the the you know you, you even though it makes no difference to you, you take the one last two two car segment. That would you know that prevents the person from getting their thirty you know five train long, you know master route or whatever. She hates that stuff. She hates it when people sort of come along and just screw her over um, to win. You know. She. I don't. I don't think she's gonna. Have you guys tried Agricola yet? Uh, we have not. I. I, we, I just got it and I haven't even had a chance to read through the rules. People told me that that it was a game that couples tended to like because it sounded like you're sort of concentrating on your own thing a little bit, but we'll see. You definitely are, but there's still that element of competing for limited resources. Okay. Like you get the vegetable seeds that she might have wanted, or oh, you get God. the last cow when it would have really helped her. Like I love Agricola. <laughs> Agricola is a great game, but it does have its own jerky dynamic. I, okay. I would say. I always uh, I always have to be careful. I mean, there there are many times in which I have to decide whether whether I want to 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 win in a stunning display of skill and sleep on the couch <laughs> or, or whether I want to, to leave the last cow for Jess. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, okay, so I'm going to give you some serious grief now. Are you ready for this? Excellent, yes. What the heck are you thinking, Keith, that, you, <laughs> that you're going to start a thread about a wee exercise <laughs> game? With, like, these eight-year-olds on the cover looking all sassy. And what is your deal with this game called Walk It Out! Exclamation point. This game is awesome. It's it just. I don't believe you. I don't believe you for one second. But go ahead. Sell me. Go ahead. Let's hear this. You know what? You know what's funny about it is that it, it just. It really takes the process of walking around or kind of jogging in place, and it actually makes it fun because you've basically got this cartoonish little virtual world, and when you start out, there's basically nothing there. There's, there's no houses. There's no cars. There's no people. It's just, it's just basically empty, and as you, as you walk, you take steps. Every step basically gets you a point. And then the various objects around the world cost points. And so, you know, it might cost 100 points to unlock a palm tree, or it might cost 400 points to unlock a house. And so there, there's a reason to be sitting there exercising. And, and I actually, I also tried uh, doing, uh, I guess, Just Dance on the Wii. Mm-hmm. And that, that has the same, it, it gets you exercising, etc. But, but uh, it's, you really look... You really look like a retard when you're doing those dance moves. And 
walk it out is just a, a bit of a more pure thing. You also don't really have to walk. What ends up happening is you you put the nunchuck in your pocket, and and that sort of picks up your your leg movements. And so you can you can lunge side to side. You can even put your plant your feet in place and sort of bob up and down. You can you can walk in a circle. You can sort of jog in place. There's a lot of things you can do. But Keith, I don't know if you know this. You can sit on the couch and just shake it and, and shake it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When I caught my kids doing that, I told them. <laughs> saw them doing that again uh, they were never allowed to play it again <laughs> that's harsh <laughs> well you know we, we have a just a real brief side note uh, we, we have a token economy with with electronics time they have mm-hmm. to earn time on electronics they get they get ease and and so when they're good or when they do chores they get ease and and one e is basically worth 10 minutes of game time now we're we're, we're pretty flexible with it we don't we don't you know, it's it's not okay. As soon as the ten minutes is up, you know, we we give right. them extensions, etc. But but we told them that they could play walk it out without spending ease because it was it was exercise. Probably <laughs> don't get out enough. And uh, but when but when I caught them just moving it up and down, I was like, you, if if you're gonna do that, you're gonna have to spend ease. But, <laughs> you know, the the thing is uh, with this game is that it, it really just appeals to. I want things to be a game. I love games of all sorts. And so it, it turns exercise into a game for me, which really was actually pretty instrumental in, um, in, in helping me. I, you know, we have this, we have this really oppressive and big brotherish wellness program at, at our, at our company where once a year they, they do a blood test and they, they tell you, uh, you know, and they take your blood pressure and stuff and they, t- they tell you if you're about to keel over. And, <laughs> and, and this year my, my triglyceride levels were really, really terrible, like excessively terrible and uh and and they were like you know you, you you're gonna you've got to go see a doctor or whatever and and so i said well, well here's what i'm gonna do i'm not just gonna go right to the doctor because they're just gonna retest me and say oh my god you're about to die so what i said is i'm gonna do it i'm, I'm gonna go on a diet i'm gonna give up all the awesome foods that i love i'm gonna exercise every day and i'm gonna i'm gonna lose a lot of weight and i'm gonna get my triglycerides down so that when i go to the doctor and i ask them to retest it it's gonna be down and then i'm just i'm gonna stick on the diet i'm gonna you know i'm gonna you know stay healthy and and so far it's it's really been working it's been it's been a little more than a month uh, i've lost about 15 to 20 pounds i guess hey, good um you know i'm i'm feeling really good um so what does yeah. the diet consist of like what are you having to to not eat um you know triglycerides uh Really high triglyceride levels are caused by a lot of refined carbohydrates, so a lot of sugar, a lot of like white bread type stuff, um, you know, fatty foods. I've basically given up all my favorite foods. Uh, it was a, it was a real treat to have that fish and chips on the cruise. Uh, so I'm not I'm not eating any French fries. I'm not eating any fast food. I'm basically I'm almost on a vegetarian diet. I'm eating a lot of salad with maybe a little bit of chicken. Um, you know, I'm eating a lot of just sort of vegetarian chili. I, I, I started eating tofu, which is something I swore I would never like. Uh, <laughs> now, I don't want to roll. This is, this is such an old chestnut, and everybody always says this, but I, I think there's some truth to it. Don't you feel better? I, I do. I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy. I mean, you know, I, I definitely have more energy. I definitely feel better about myself. I, I've, I've been able to tighten my belt. My pants aren't fitting anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is great. I, I feel terrific. So I'm I'm really going to try to stick with it. I mean, it's you know it's it's I, I'm sure there's going to come a point where it's going to be hard. And I, I've already been feeling sort of like I mean I haven't done my exercises yet for the day. So so when we're done the podcast, I'm going to go do walk it out because I if I don't do it every night, I know you know I'm going to 
I'm going to have trouble. But, you know, I, I was even good on the cruise. I, I only gained two pounds on this cruise. I mean, they've got all this awesome food set out, and I was really eating salads and fruit, and we, we did the treadmill every day. So, Oh, that is that is quite an accomplishment, Keith, because yeah, not, you're not supposed to exercise or watch what you eat on a cruise. I know. It's, it's, okay. It should probably be illegal. Now, before we transition to the game that we are going to headline today, I want to tell you, I know you're a fan of Darklands. Yes. Uh, can I ask how old you are, by the way? Oh, I'm um, I'm late 30s. I'm 37. Okay, so we're we're roughly the same age. I've got a few years on you, but we're old enough that we played Darklands when it came out, and yes. it probably blew our young minds. I, uh, yes, this idea that, and even though Darklands was almost entirely text based, wasn't it? it? Yeah, I mean, the, the it was it was graphical, but the 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 real interesting thing about it was that. A lot of the navigation around the game is done on text-based menus, and, yeah. and, and there's these conversations. And so there, it sort of was split up into three parts. There was an overland map, which was graphical. There was a tactical combat system, which was graphical. But then there was sort of this navigating around the cities and the locations that you go to, and that was all text-based, and it was, it was absolute genius. Was it randomized? Uh, there were many things in the game that were randomized. Uh, they... The, the different locations were sort of fixed, and the, some of the options that you had were fixed, but the quests that people would give you uh, in, in any particular location were randomized. Some of the items that you could get, I believe, were randomized uh, from game to game. Now, since Darklands, and I'm curious, uh, because I have one thing I want to suggest that I think is a bit of a reach, but has there, has there been any game that you can think of that kind of fills that Darklands niche? Have there been any spiritual successors to it? I actually kind of felt that uh, that a DS game, Final Fantasy Tactics A2, was kind of similar. You you have sort of the, the text menus that you get in a lot of these DS games. You had an overland map, and you had a tactical combat system. I, it, it wasn't. I'm not a huge Final Fantasy fan, so it didn't really it didn't really scratch quite the same itch. But um, there, there have been games that. That sort of did some some similar things. I think that's the only one I'm I'm kind of remembering offhand. But nothing nothing has really come close to Darklands. Now, have you played? Uh, and it's a whole different genre, so I don't know that it applies. But have you played a game called Space Rangers? Um, I tried playing that, and I, I, there was something about it that just didn't appeal to me. I really didn't get very far with it, or I had trouble with with the combat or something, and. Yeah, I, I, I should no, probably I'm revisit it. No, no, I don't think necessarily you should, because I'm with you 100%. Space Rangers uh, was kind of like a sci-fi maybe successor to Darklands, but I'm with you in that it didn't really – it kind of bounced off me. I didn't really yeah. take to it. But here's a game I've been playing recently that I think is a lot like Space Rangers, and as I was playing it, I realized, you know, this kind of fills this Darklands kind of – shaped hole in that it's it's there's a lot of randomization i'm basically just moving around an overland map there are occasional little quests but i'm basically just sort of navigating this open area now it's it's got much more detailed graphical combat but as far as just moving around this map uh kind of unlocking stuff aimlessly wandering it gives me a darklands vibe and i think it's better than space rangers and it's called it has a very unlikely name it's called space pirates and zombies i, I knew you were going to say that I, i've actually just been playing the demo and I, I was i was about to buy it i 
I, I just haven't had a chance to buy it yet today. <laughs> I, I heartily recommend it. And, yeah, and when, it looks, when you mentioned good. Darklands, I just kind of hit on that. Now, one of the things about Space Pirates and Zombies, I am super weird about spoilers. Uh, I don't watch movie trailers. Uh, I don't want to know things about movies. And if I can help that with a game, I am also going to be the same way there. So... I don't know what kind of game Space Pirates... I haven't read anything about Space Pirates and Zombies. I just jumped in and started playing. We had a fellow named Brian Rubin who did a game diary on it. And I confess, because I didn't want it spoiled, I actually didn't <laughs> read stuff he wrote. Uh, so don't, don't tell him that. Uh, okay. But I've been playing the game, and I don't know why... I know why it's called Space Pirates, but I don't know why it's called Zombies. I don't know what you're heading towards. This isn't a spoiler to say the structure of the game is you start in the periphery of a galaxy and you're working your way towards the center. I don't know what's in the center. I don't know really why I want to get there. You can't just make a beeline for it. You have to sort of work your way around through different areas. So I know very little about where it's actually heading. Uh, And in that regard, I kind of feel like it's Darklands 2 and that I don't know what's waiting for me. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I'm not trying to kill like one main wizard. Uh, I just kind of like that aimless feel that's sort of not knowing what's coming. And I I like that, too. I mean, I I definitely tend to be a fan of open world games in in any genre. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited to check it out. I I, I actually – my impression is that you can't take your save progress from the tutorial. So actually stop playing the tutorial, figure, Ah. well, I'm going to have to redo this, so I might as well just get the game. Right. Yes, absolutely. I I did think of another one that's sort of similar, uh, DS game Infinite Space – was kind of similar in that there's a story and there's a, a big open world, but it's a little bit more linear. But there's sort of menus and then there's kind of this this combat system. Uh, that I, weird I, space game. It's like the the capital ships fighting each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the problem it suffered from was that it was just really really super long, and so I, I didn't manage to finish it. But uh, I remember yeah. I think Tracy Baker was a real. Uh, proponent or he was a real advocate for, for that game and i yeah i tried it and and it also wasn't the developer like like suda 51 or like one of those i seem to recall it was some <laughs> high profile japanese developer who i really respected but as i was playing this game i didn't really see the, i didn't really see that it was i couldn't really see their work in it so i kind of lost interest uh, yeah, it was it was a little different. You actually spend a lot of time moving little components around your capital ship to sort of fit these Tetris-like pieces into your ship. Oh right, God, yes, yes which I I, I loved. I thought that was fantastic. So, well, you're gonna you're gonna like Space Pirates and Zombies. Yeah, I'm not I, gonna I, say anything I, else. I just think you should buy it, dive <laughs> in. I think you've got some cool stuff waiting for you. Uh, all right, I want to talk to you. So that, so this podcast is about a game. I. I may have never heard of right. Wizard War. Wizard Wars. Wars. They've had more than one war. Okay. Yeah, this is, yeah. So tell us briefly what the game is, and then I want to ask you about why you are f- kind of famous for Wizard Wars. <laughs> tell us what, for those of us who don't know Wizard Wars from Wizards of War, uh, what is Wizards, Wizard Wars? Well, it was, a, it was a game put out by Paragon Software in, I believe, 1988, and it, it was it's the most simplest little game. You, you basically play as a wizard who has to beat the, the, the big bad wizard, and it, it basically really has 
again, sort of two components, two or three components to it. There's an overland kind of map. You can go to these different territories, and when you go to a, a territory, you can have an encounter, and you may encounter a monster that you have to fight, or you can sort of search for items, and then you'll find kind of items that you can, uh, you know, combine into these recipes or whatnot. And uh, that's probably about 85% of the game. Is, is it was. It was a, it was similar to the Bard's Tale in the sense that when you when you're having combat, it's just this sort of scrolling text that says, you know, you okay, you hit you hit the the, the the bad guy for ten points of damage, and then he hits you for three points of damage, and it's just this ridiculously simplistic game. Although in, in 1988, I mean, it was it was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was the last Christmas present that my my grandmother ever gave me before becoming senile. So I sort of have fond memories of it in that regard. Um, so you still but, own this this picture that I'm looking at here is a copy of the game you still own? Yes, yes, I'm I'm holding it in my hands right now. Yeah. It, what is I'm my eye immediately goes to I mean I'm looking at the five and a quarter floppies, the three and a half inch floppies, the disc, the manual. There's some handwritten sheets. There's some sheets in there. One of them looks like it's on parchment and it's signed by someone named Schloeth, I guess. But where my eye goes, and I'm like, I want to know what's in there. Morgane's Handbook of Spells, Curses, and Enchantments. <laughs> yeah, so this is a little pink book that uh, has some, you know, sort of ridiculous runic writing, and then it's got some text. And uh, so, so the first, uh, the first spell in here is called Passion, and says, "Drawing upon the limitless power of Mazus himself, the Passion spell arouses the love stored in the soul of all creatures." Blah 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 blah. I, I have no idea how this relates to the game. <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. Is that in the game? Because that would be awesome. <laughs> you know what I think it is. I, I think uh, I think that it's um, it's one of these deals where it, those are some of the spells that you may you may find as you progress around the world. The, the best part of this this little booklet, though, is that the last page is is like this. I don't know what you'd call it. It's it's like this uh, sort of pinup picture of a woman in a bikini <laughs> with a, a horned skull. Uh, superimposed on her head, like she's wearing it as some kind of a of a headdress. Is and, that and is, is that the eponymous Morgane? I I don't know if that's Morgane. If it is, I <laughs> wish I had met met Morgane. But you know, I mean, as a fourteen year old boy, I mean, this was this was my favorite page of the entire book, uh, <laughs> of course. And uh, <laughs> now, out of curiosity, Keith. In 1988, how did your grandmother know to get this for you? Well, she didn't because she was mostly senile already. And so w- what we did was m- my mother said, look, Nana, Nana can't afford anything for you guys, and she, she can't get out to the store but so that, so that we preserve the, you know, the, the true spirit of Christmas, which is to give people presents. Uh, we are going to go to the mall, and you're going to pick out your own present, and then we're going to wrap it and then pretend to be surprised for Nana. And oh, so, that's wonderful. <laughs> it was cute. And so I, I remember, I really actually have a vivid memory of being in the electronics boutique, may it rest in peace, and picking this game out and being so excited and, and feeling like I knew I was going to love it and then having to wait for a month as it sat wrapped in our house waiting so that we somebody could hand it to my Nana so that she could hand it back to me. Uh. <laughs> that is that is a valuable experience for a child to learn, that sort of deferred <laughs> gratification. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so so, so th- this is – so 
you still own this game. It has uh, obviously personal significance to you. However, this game now has an additional claim to fame. This game is almost like a <laughs> relic for very specific reasons. Tell us how this game came to be relevant in a contemporary situation. You know, and this this whole story, I, I, it really puzzles me. I, I don't even understand how this happened or why this happened to this day. But I, I, Lunch of Kong on the forums posted something, uh, must, it must have been over a year ago now, saying that he had a friend that was looking for player-generated maps, uh, maps that people drew of computer games. And I said, you know, I think I've, I think I've got some maps. And I went and looked, and I... I pulled open my Wizard Wars box, and I found the maps that I had drawn. The, the, the funny thing about the game is that the last 15% of the game is actually totally different than the, the first part of the game. It's, it's more of a Bard's Tale-style maze crawl, where you have to kind of go through and, and try to find your way through a maze. And so, you know, I've, I've got... I had basically these maps of, of these, these mazes on graph paper. And, and so I... I then I send an email to the to the guy, uh, and and after some back and forth in which I sort of changed my mind briefly and didn't didn't think I wanted to part with my maps, um, I finally sent them to him, and uh, they ended up in an art exhibit first in Liverpool and then in Amsterdam, I think, as as part of this player generated map archive that that a, a guy named Tim Hutchings. Had created uh, an exhibit of, and so he's he's got this this growing collection of of maps that people drew for for various games, and these these maps were literally hanging on the wall in some art gallery in, in Liverpool and Amsterdam. So which, you actually mailed them to Tim, right? Like uh, yeah, you, you yeah. And, and and you you were reluctant at one point to give them to him, right? Like at one yeah. point you were like, these have sentimental value. I don't want you to take these. Was that? Yeah, I I think I, I tend to be kind of paranoid, and I, I think I was worried that I wasn't going to get them back. And and he he convinced me, look, no, you know, this is this is real. This is a real art gallery, that you know. We'll, we'll be careful with your maps, <laughs> and yeah. So yeah, I mailed them to him. He, you know, he forwarded them on to to the, I guess, to the exhibit in Liverpool and and et cetera. And and then they traveled from there to Amsterdam. And do you know how they were exhibited? You said they were on a wall. Like, were they actually affixed on a wall? Was there any sort of plaque with them? Was your name, by the way? Did it say Keith So and So from Pennsylvania? Like, was it credited to you? You know, I, I don't think so. You know, I, it's 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 kind of a regret. I've I've really got to get back to Tim and ask ask him if he's got any photos of what the exhibit looked like. I I kind of combed the websites of these galleries trying to figure out if they had any any photos, but I actually don't know. I don't know how they were presented. I don't know if it said my name. I, I you know the the whole concept I find kind of odd to be honest. I I, I have I have a. a I have a lot of struggle with art. I don't. I don't know that I really understand art. I've had to ask people on the forums what, what the heck art is all about, and so and so the idea that maps that I drew when I was 14 would would be would be considered art or would be interesting to people really sort of blew my mind. I I, I, I I'm not even sure if I understand why that is interesting per se. Did Tim, by the way, say that this was like an art exhibit? Because I look at these and we're going to talk about them in a minute, and and these will be posted, so we'll refer to the people listening to specific images. But did Tim say this is an art exhibit? Is this a nostalgia exhibit? Like, do you know what approach he was taking? He I, I, he really described it as an art exhibit. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I you know, I, I and I wish I remember more of about how he he framed the whole thing. Um, you know, and and before we we started talking, I kind of tried to go to the 
to the gallery pages, um, they, they don't really work so well anymore. Um, but you know, on on his on his site, he he has a site called plagmada.org, where and he he has not posted my maps, um, but he's got he's got 15 different galleries of different of these different maps. So I mean, he's he clearly really you know really sees this as a as a sort of artwork. I mean, some of the maps are just some of the maps he's got are really fantastic. I mean, people really clearly were drawing out these elaborate maps. I mean, mine are just sort of boxes on graph paper. But well, now, so uh, this would have been nineteen. So you were how old? How old a kid were you at this point? Do you know roughly? Like were you like a junior high kid? Uh, yeah, I mean, younger? I was pro- I was about fourteen when I played okay. the game. So I was yeah eighth grade or something. So let's look at some of these maps. Uh, for those of you listening, if you go to the front page of quarter to three, or if you do a search for uh, QT3 podcast, Spoofy Chop, and Wizard Wars, that'll come up on a Google search. Uh, if you look at the entry, we're going to post these pictures. Uh, I'd like to talk about a few of them in specific. Keith, if you open the first one, it's just called Wizard Wars Map 1. Uh, here's This is obviously like the work of a kid. Like, I look at yeah. this, and this just brings me back to junior high as well. Uh, you've written at the upper left, First Maze. It looks like maybe you have used a marker to chart, like, the direction you go, and it's kind of faded. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's, like, faded highlighter. Okay, oh. highlighter. Oh, right, yeah. so at one point that was bright yellow, yes. Yeah, yeah. What are those little – do you know offhand what those carrot symbols are pointing at? Uh, like it looks like there's a dot and a couple of points you've like pointed in at the dot. Do you know what that is? I, you know, I don't remember, but my, my – I want to say that there was some kind of a magical effect at those places that if you – if you went to that spot, it would push you in the direction, and you couldn't like you could only pass in one direction or something ah, like right, that. Right. I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, okay. It, it feels like that has to be wrong though, because you know there's this sort of one spot where it, it doesn't even look like you could get to the square if that was the case. So I, I really don't remember to be honest. Now you obviously too like I see your path marked out, but it looks like in Wizard Wars you actually went to every single dead end in Nook and Cranny. Like you mapped out the entire first level. You did some <laughs> serious cartography. Yeah, no, I was I was I was in it for you know completeness, I guess. <laughs> uh, let's go to, to image two because I'm curious. It almost looks like there's maybe. I don't know, is that like an electrical barrier? Is it a conveyor belt? What is going on in the center of Wizard Wars map <laughs> 2? I, you know what I think that is? I think it's just me crossing out the uh, the highlighter. Oh, it's like, oh, I didn't go here. Never mind. Yeah, yeah forget that route. That's, you obviously, yeah. as a kid, could not afford uh, whiteout. Right, right. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, image three. Image three. So each of these, it looks like... This is so. This is the end game. This isn't something that's occurring constantly through Wizard Wars, right? Right. No. This is yeah. This is this is the the final march to the bad guy. So then, if we go to image four, then there are two maps. One of them is level three. Like I'm not sure that I could follow your maps. I would have to. Like you didn't label specifically what each map is. Like for instance, image two and image three has a number two on it. Right. Those are right. The same. Yeah, so you know what? Just as to your junior high self, I just want to say good work on the actual cartography, but the notation <laughs> needs some work. Yeah, I know. I, I have this problem to this very day. I mean, you know, I, I 
I write uh, computer code, and, and it makes perfect sense at the time. And then later on, you know, Cathcart has to come back to it, and he's like, what the hell? What did this mean? <laughs> now, looking at uh, Wizard Wars Map 5, I'm almost guessing there might be some kind of, like, teleportation portal action going, like where you hit number one, and then that takes oh, you to number yeah, two, that, and then that you, takes you to number three, maybe. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm I'm – I'm sure you're right. I, I, I don't. I just don't remember for certain. But yeah, yeah. that's that's got to be what that's yeah. going, what's going good, on. Good work to your junior high self. What I also like how this one has evolved is you are now indicating the direction of travel. <laughs> you are now putting arrows on the highlighted path so that you know which way you're moving. I, I was I was learning as I went apparently. <laughs> So, okay, now here's where I really start to love it, uh, because then you get a sense for, holy cats, this game gets complex. How could you ever <laughs> got through here without mapping it? Man, map six, where you're having to, like, cram everything onto the one page. It's barely going to fit. It looks like there might even be little sub-basements on the bottom right of map six. It looks like you might have given up charting every inch. Like, is that... An area that you started and you were eventually like, ah, forget this. I'm not gonna. I don't need to go out there. I'm not gonna explore any further. I don't you know. know. You know I, I definitely remember becoming really frustrated with this and feeling like I was never gonna get to the end. I, I, I definitely remember a palpable sense of frustration with this game, and I, I, I don't remember if I, if, if the, the sort of the blank areas on this map were just places where that you know that you couldn't get to or what. But yeah, no, I. I I've only ever played through this once. <laughs> you know, Keith, I'm glad to hear you say that because my favorite thing about watching, like my, my first favorite thing about looking at these maps is how much I think, yes, that was this idea of exploration that I loved as a kid. You know, this is why I played D&D. This is what I thrilled to when I discovered computer games. That's my first favorite thing about these maps. My second favorite thing about these maps, as you just said, that increasing sense of frustration, I love looking at image number eight and comparing it to image number one. In image number Number one, it is so like bold and clear. And you're <laughs> careful about getting the lines to look good. By the time you get to image number eight, you're just like, yeah, it's like slapping the lines down. <laughs> you don't care about the aesthetics or whether or not you're lining up with the graph paper very yeah. well. You just want to get it done with, get it yeah. mapped, get to the end. It just there's such a clear progression to this. It almost looks like uh like like some kind of you can just see your frustration right. In, the, the lines that you were drawing in, in, in map number eight. And it looks like I gave up on the highlighter to some extent. Now I'm using a pen, maybe. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> you can see an image number eight in the very upper left one. You started with the highlighter, and then it's like, just never mind. I'm just using yeah. a pen. Uh, <laughs> so, so did you get uh, – so you obviously got these back. So yep. Tim was very clear with you about, look, if you send them to me, I will send them back to you. Is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, were these FedExed or insured? Or uh, I had a girlfriend who used to work at a at a, a library here in the California in the university system here in California, and every now and then she would be tasked with transferring a rare tome, and she <laughs> would wear specific gloves. It would be in an in an airtight sealed uh, container. You know, she would just drive it in her car, but the whole act of transporting it and not touching the pages like all of that was very meticulous so i can't help but think i'm curious what process your maps went through were they simply fedexed yeah i I basically just fedexed them to tim and then presumably he fedexed them to the brits um you know they they were insured um I, i don't i don't remember for how much uh you know the 
I, I can't imagine they took too too many precautions with them. I mean, they're really they're really not worth anything other than than for sort of this nostalgia and and you know kind of archival purpose to to kind of know what people used to have to go through when when we played these games but uh yeah i mean you know i fedexed them to him and then about a year and a half later he fedexed them back to me a year and a half though it it actually it took quite a while uh the the exhibit was set to run for about a year and um i don't know exactly what happened but even even after the exhibit had ended um it seemed like Tim wasn't getting them back from the gallery maybe as quickly as I had expected. And then it, it, it felt like maybe he wasn't sending them back to me quite as quickly as I'd expected once he got them. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they went on a pretty long journey. Yeah, they were out of my hands for about a year and a half, I think. Right. Now, I've noticed, too, looking at these, it doesn't look like you have them folded. Like, I don't see those telltale uh, lines through the paper where they're folded. How, how, do you, how did you keep these in the box with uh, all those discs and whatnot? No, they're, they're folded, actually. They are folded? Yeah, you oh. can't really see it on the scans. But, yeah, they were all folded. They were just folded over and kept in the box for the last whatever number of years. And is that where they live now? Um, I actually, I, I have not put them back in the box. I, I actually have them in an, in the envelope uh, that was inside of the FedEx envelope with with Tim's real uh, real nice note that he wrote to me after, uh, after you know when he sent them back. And and I, I've actually since found uh, five or ten additional maps that had nothing to do with Wizard Wars. I mean, I found one for uh, I found one for King's Quest Five, and I found one for. Uh, <laughs> You know, for hero, Quest for Glory One, which at the time I think was called Heroes Quest. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've 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 kind of got them in an envelope now. They're they're a little bit more prominently set on my my nostalgia shelf. Now, when you were a kid, did you play D and D? Did you ever make your own adventures? Uh, you know, I I, I didn't. Uh, we didn't have kids in our town that played D and D so much because that was at the time when. When if you played D and D, you were you were a Satanist and you were probably uh, ah. ritually murder your neighbors. <laughs> uh, and I really I liked my neighbors. Uh, so, no, I, I really didn't play D and D. I mean, I, I played except to say that I, I suppose I played um, some of the D and D based computer games. Right. But I I, I the, the first time that I ever really played tr- sat down and tried to play pen and paper D and D was. Um, Probably about six months ago, when my daughter uh, became interested, there's this horrible, horrible series of books uh, called the Warriors series, which I gather is it's about cats, house cats <laughs> that live out in the wilderness and and fight each other. And she loves these books, but but the game, the, the books actually come with a pen and paper RPG, and she really wanted to play it. And I said, well, well, can we at least try to play? Dungeons and Dragons instead, and she, you know, she likes fantasy settings, and and so I got the Dungeons and Dragons starter box, which is like a really dumbed down version, and 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 that was actually pretty much the first time that I ever tried to play D and D, I think, and I, I I can't, it's it's too complicated. No nobody would nobody would play it with me, and uh, you know, and so we we sort of settled on Wrath of a Shardalon, which is you know more of a board game style approach to the whole thing. And so you and your daughter actually sat down and, and rolled up characters and whatnot, yep. like yeah. And you you like were you were the DM, I take it. Yeah, yeah, I, I played the role of the DM, and and we went through uh, we went through like one you know like really really short adventure, and 
you know, she's sort of she's funny because with things that she likes, I mean, she can read the Minecraft wiki for three hours straight if you let her. <laughs> but she it just didn't relate to to D, pen and paper D and D for some. She, we also because I, I said to her, let's try playing pen and paper D and D. If you really like it, then then maybe I'll do this stupid cats thing with you. <laughs> and I don't think I put it in those terms. But you know, she she didn't want to do the cats thing after that. So I, I guess I won. Oh, I was going to say mission accomplished. You got yeah, it over I, that. I, yeah. <laughs> This is uh, excellent learning. Looking at these maps, too, I'm curious if you've played a DS game called Etrian Odyssey. Uh, I, I, I looked into it. I gather that you have to do some mapping with the stylus, right? Yep. You, you don't have, Actually, yeah, you do have to. But you're basically, as you're exploring, you're drawing out one of those little maps on the touchscreen. Yeah. Uh, which is a great callback to this kind of adventuring and how you suss out a maze and how you make notations on the, the, the graph paper. Uh, yeah. I, I love that about Etrian Odyssey. Uh, I, so. I haven't tried it. I, I have to say, uh, I have nostalgia about Wizard Wars. I have nostalgia about the maps, but I, I don't. I'm not really in a hurry to recreate that that mapping experience. Right. Um, I don't know. It's. It, it, I, I may pick up, a, you know, Etrian Odyssey at some point. I, I've. I'm currently p- playing, a, you know, Bowser's Inside Story on the DS, though. So th- that's that's more my speed anymore. Well, and also uh, you'll be playing Space Pirates and Zombies, I believe. So you've got that coming up for your uh, longer-term RPG needs. Yes. Uh, All right, so what is coming out recently? So we're on the verge of the traditional yearly holiday season of of a bunch of releases. What are you looking forward to in the next few months, Keith? Uh, I think the only thing that's really really got me excited is Skyrim. you know, I I've I don't know whether it's old age or what, but I, I I don't really obsessively follow all the releases anymore. I I, I honestly think, and, and and this is such a fantastic thing about about quarter to three, I really tend to let everybody else do the the collaborative filtering for me when people. <laughs> yeah, I mean seriously though, when people post about something, whether it's space pirates and zombies or whether it's, uh, you know. Skyrim or anything. I mean, when there are enough people that really like something, that, that's usually when I check it out. And so I, I literally don't pay attention to stuff in, in the mo- in, for the most part until it's out and until people on the forum have said, okay, this is, this is really worth your time. So that's where I learned about Minecraft. That's where I learned about Terraria. That's where I learned about uh, you know, any number of things. You know what? I hear you, Keith, because I, as much as I'm supposed to be like, you know, a quote-unquote games journalist, and I get press releases for stuff, and I ignore most of that, it's yeah. only when I see threads popping up that I'm like, okay, what is this? I'm going to look into this now. Uh, it, it's just an invaluable asset to have people that you kind of know, and you know that you can kind of trust their taste, and have them just recommending stuff, and like you like you kind of put it, let them do the legwork yeah. of sussing out what's worth playing and what's not. Well, you, yeah. you know what's, what's funny about this, too, though, is that this is as a journalist i think this is probably bad news for 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 you guys because clearly a lot of the 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 thing that used to fill this this role were the the games magazines computer games and and pc gamer and computer gaming world and etc and you know i used to have subscriptions to all those magazines years and years ago when you when that was basically your option you you were gonna you know we were gonna read your review of deus ex to find out that it was it was no good or whatever and uh, (laughs) you obviously don't 
follow the internet very closely because that's not the case. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Isn't that the uh, isn't isn't that the thing that everybody uh, tried to pin on you and it wasn't right? I don't remember. Oh no no no! I did, I I don't I don't care for the first Deus Ex and I did write a negative review, but everybody else loves Deus Ex. Right. Yes, right. Right. You're, you're right there, but uh, I'm the outlier. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you 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 have been filtered out rather than uh, right. Yeah. But you're absolutely right in that all of these these magazines now and I go to places like IGN and I even work for those guys sometimes and I see articles and I'm like I don't I don't know who wrote this I don't I don't care what he thinks and and that's that's kind of weird and that's not a good place for the the industry to be in as far as the industry of writing about uh, games is that we've we have these internet communities that we kind of trust more than the traditional writers it's a weird yeah. place yeah, yeah. well I, I think that the, you know the the people that were doing the writing maybe quote unquote in the old days which isn't so many years ago now i mean you know you and 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 several of the the other people that were really well respected you know you guys were really you you had a really unique voice and and still do and and you know there there was a trust factor there i think as as it became harder to make make ends meet as a games journalist and as things kind of got a little crazy it seems like the, the quality declined, and so it wasn't like you were going to go and say, "I want to know what Tom or what you know whoever thinks about right. this particular game." But I think I think it speaks volumes that Steve Bauman, one of the finest magazine editors ever, is now working at a game developer. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of the that's the lay of the land these days. So, uh, all right. So Skyrim, here's a quiz for you. You ready for a pop quiz? You what bet. What day does Skyrim come out? Ah, uh, didn't they pick? The 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 eleven eleven absolutely make it, to make and, it easy to remember and it worked because you know because yeah, now I, yeah I'm gone. Uh, so yeah no, you know what but it is not going to be a day one purchase for me I, I I've gone back and forth with this I will probably wait until people at least I don't maybe it's previews or whatever but till people on the forum really confirm yes it's as awesome as it, as it's destined to be. Well, that's I find that interesting because it's such a. I look at Skyrim, and I even got to play a little bit of it at a at a press thing recently, and it's such a known quantity to me. You know, <laughs> I know what kind of games Bethesda does. I know what Oblivion was like. Like, I, I have no doubt that I know exactly what to expect in Skyrim, and it's probably going to be exactly that. Uh, I, I, but yeah, you know what? Good for you for being cautious. That's that's a good place to be. I'm probably overcautious, I, I, and I, I could easily change my mind. I, I I think I've maybe gone back and forth two or three times on this, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I sometimes things come out and there's weird bugs. I mean, it, you know, the problem you had with was it Fallout New Vegas? Oh, uh, you Xbox? know what? That's a, yeah, that's a very fair point. That's a very fair point because I probably would have said the same thing about Fallout New Vegas <laughs> at one point. Yeah. Which was a fant- I I just got done playing that. Uh, you know, a month ago or whatever, and I mean that that game was awesome. Shut up! But if it if it had had bugs, you know, it wouldn't really. <laughs> I hate when people tell me how awesome Fallout New Vegas is because I want to play it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, final question: Will you be playing Skyrim on the PC or the 360 yeah. or the PS3? Actually, yeah, P- PC. I think I think my computer is still going to be able to run it. Um, I don't. I don't like playing those games uh, on on the consoles. I don't really like using the controller. Uh, for games like that, so, yeah, I have yeah. a I have a theory. I'm going to throw this theory out at you and, and see what you think. Uh, you know, I'm a single guy, I live in my own place. So if I want to play a game on the 360, I'm going to be in the living room, sprawled out on the couch. No one's going to be bothering me because they want to watch, right. you know, Glee or, or whatever. <laughs> right. You, as as a married fellow with two lovely daughters, uh, do not have that luxury. So does that color whether or not you play things on the 360 or the PC? 
Well, well. So my 360 is not even. It's not even in the living room. Oh, with the television. okay. The, the Wii is connected to the television, and so when I when I do walk it out, I, I'm at, at 10 p.m. or whatever it is. I'm I'm with the television, but the Xbox 360 is actually connected into my my beautiful 27 inch Asus monitor that has built in speakers, which are tinny and crappy. But the point is that I can play the Xbox 360. As if it was a PC game. Right. I mean, I'm just sitting at my desk the way I would normally play a PC game. I just for game for third first or third person games, I I just don't like using the controller. So, okay, fair enough. Thanks for blowing a hole in my theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, Keith, I have really appreciated hanging out with you today. This has been awesome talking yes. to you, and I am so I was just so tickled to look at those maps. So thanks for sending me those. If you have been listening, be sure to check out the maps on the front page of Quarter to Three. If you are ever uh, a nerd in junior high, I think you will definitely appreciate those. Uh, so, Keith, thank you for hanging out, and we will be seeing you around uh, on the forum. I thank guess. you, Tom. All right. Take care now. Take care. Oh, by the way, so uh, I guess I didn't uh, – You so you do not know this this music, right? Here, here, let me play this. So you said before you don't recognize that, right? No, I really didn't. It's it's cute. It's funky, uh, but no, I did. I didn't recognize it. <laughs> cute and funky. It's also, by the way, absolutely awesome to play the drums on in rock band. But it's called Maps, and it made me think of your maps. <laughs> so, all right. Well, take care, Keith, and we'll see you around on the forum. Okay, take care. Sure.